0: Upon a now we want you to share with us our latest and greatest dream disneyland
1: just go to action park there's no other park like it six flags great adventure it's not a world away
0: paramount's king's island we
1: will officially
0: open universal studios florida hello i'm michael eisner
1: Now, here is your
2: host. Hello, and welcome back to the Defunctland Podcast. This is the first episode of the podcast's third season, and all throughout this month, February 2020, I have four interviews with former Imagineers, all of which are incredible, and today is a great one to start it off. Um, with me today is former Imagineer Ray Kinman. With Imagineering, Ray had one of the coolest and maybe one of the more overlooked aspects of the parks. Ray is a master wood carver. So this should be fascinating, and Ray, thank you so much for coming on today.
0: That's my pleasure, Kevin. Nice to meet you.
2: It's nice to meet you, too. It's so great to have you on. As I mentioned, this is such an interesting craft, um, but I will say up front that I know nothing about wood carving. You're not the only one. Okay. So, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. So I have a few questions to guide us, but I really just want to hear you talk. I want to hear your stories, and I want to hear about your craft. But the first question is the most obvious probably, which is how did you get into wood carving?
0: Ah, I got to go way back, 43 years. Uh, It was 1977, and I was a 20-year-old kid looking for something to do in life. I was actually a musician at the time and playing on the shows around Reno and Tahoe and uh and my girlfriend came to me and said, uh, "Guess what, honey? I'm pregnant." <laughs> and I'm going, "Okay." You know that feeling when that happens? And uh I was real sure that music wasn't going to be able to cut it to support my family, so I was just kind of looking around for something to do. And you know, I had a little bit of art background, not much, just a little bit. I used to do airbrush t-shirts and So, I was living at Lake Tahoe at the time, North Lake Tahoe, and there were a lot of carved wooden signs all over North Tahoe. Really beautiful stuff, and I always liked them. And I had a friend opening a restaurant, and I asked him, "Well, who's going to do your sign?" And he kind of looked at me and said, "Well, why? Do you know how to do it?" And I stopped and I like had to think really fast. So I, I told the truth in advance. Uh, now the truth in advance is not actually lying; it just hasn't happened yet, right? So I told him, "Yeah, sure, it's been a while, but yeah, I, I can carve wood." And I don't know where I ever got the idea I could do that because I had no tools, no money, no experience, never done any woodworking, no place to work, but. I borrowed 30 bucks from my dad and got my first two tools and uh, that's how I got started.
2: So, well, that, first of all, that's a great story. Um, That's a great uh, beginning, but you know, you, so you're going to go into this craft that you, you uh, told the truth in advance, but you technically at that point did not know how to do it to nearly the level that you can now, or even probably just make the science. So when you're making that first project, what what did you do? What did what was the process? Well, I got humble really quick. I didn't know anything. I just started asking around
0: town. I had a friend who was a woodworker, and you know, I didn't even know what kind of wood to use. Nothing, and I asked around and got tips from friends and trial and error. Um, you know, reading books. I'm self-taught, so um, there's no real school that you can go to to learn the art of. Wood carving. In Europe, there is there's a whole formal training system for where you can be an apprentice and a journeyman and a master, but there's nothing like that here. So it was making a, a lot of mistakes, um, finding a lot of things that didn't work at all, and gradually getting better at it.
2: And so you do the first sign, and then uh, do you immediately jump into doing another? Did like another situation come up with a friend, or do you just say, "I'm a wood carver. I can do this now." <laughs> that's a
0: great question you know um this it, it came out really bad it was but i worked out a deal with my friend to trade dinners for it right and it turned out the food at the restaurant was terrible too so we got an even trade out the deal um but you know I was looking for something to do and i didn't know at that time i was young and I didn't know that it's impossible to earn a living as a carver. I thought, I've seen it before, maybe I can do it. So I started doing things for for friends and relatives to practice and scrounge and walk around with samples and photographs of my little samples that I had done, and just gradually got work a little at a time. And uh, it built that way.
2: Was there ever a point when you were going around and, um, doing these odd jobs or these freelance gigs that you were, you remember, or you, you really just, you did a piece where you're like, oh, wow, this is something that I I can really hone in. And this, I'm like, I'm skilled at this. Did you ever have like that moment?
0: You know, it's funny you would mention that because it's a lot like, um, and being a musician is a lot like that in the beginning, you know, I was terrible i but I thought I was pretty good, <laughs> I looked at it and I was surprised that it you know something came out, and so I thought I was better than I actually was, and that helps get past that that stage where you're awkward and not knowing what you're doing so i I wish I had photographs of that early stuff like there's one carving that I did up at Lake Tahoe from that period that's still there, and I've got a picture of that and. It's just really bad, Kevin. I just ew, it's, it's <laughs> encouraging to see I've made some progress.
2: Yeah, and so you're doing these um doing these jobs and you're making progress. And and so what where are we in the timeline? What year is this about that you started this? Nineteen seventy-seven. Okay, wow. So you've so you've been doing this for how many years now? What's that add up to? I think forty-three years. So now you teach students i saw on your website that you you, you bring students in i
0: do you know I'm, I'm getting i'm getting old and um it's time for me to pass the torch and, and this is such a beautiful wonderful uh, zen skill and it's super enjoyable. It. and it's it's kind of in danger of becoming extinct with computers and cnc routers and you know it's starting to become robotic and um I think it's time to pass this along. So I've been teaching quite a bit.
2: And so when you, you know, the, I'm connecting this to, you know, you're looking back at your work. When you're teaching students, are these students, do these students have already a basis or are, you, are they coming in with none? And how do you help them get get to a point where they're comfortable with their work the same way that you had to do it, like on your own?
0: It's most of the students have no experience whatsoever. And most of them are not artists either, so it's just regular people um, but they've seen like on my website if you look at my students' work it's really it's astonishing how good so it's a three day retreat and, and they come and um, and Kevin there's more method to carving than you think um, there's a series of steps uh, that I've worked out to teach people how to look at it and how to understand it it's not something that just comes blowing out like thing. It, it doesn't come gushing out. It's it's an actual method that you can follow some steps and with predictable results. So it's, it's working really well.
2: And that's actually, I'm going to ask you a little bit about that later is the process, because like I said, I'm completely ignorant and I'm sure a lot of people, um, I'm sure the majority of people, like 99% of people have no idea, you know, how those cool signs or those cool art pieces are created. So we'll definitely get into that later. But Because this is a theme park podcast and you did a lot of work for um, Walt Disney Imagineering, can you kind of uh, talk about how did you initially get started? Did they reach out to you? Did you show your work to them? Um, How did that go about?
0: Well, I, you know, after years and, you know, practice and practice and practice and discipline and practice and discipline, I thought I was probably good enough to do some stuff for them. And so I tried, I moved to Southern California and I tried getting in with with Disney from Imagineering and I never got a response. Nothing. And, you know, now that I think about it, they probably get thousands of submissions a day. Of course, you know, going in the front door is not a great way to do it. But I never got a response. So I just kind of put it out of my head and, um, and then one day I get a phone call from the senior graphic designer at Imagineering. And he happened to wander into a restaurant where I'd done some work and got my phone number and called me.
2: So that's serendipity. <laughs> it's luck. It's pure luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you get brought in. Um, what, what is that process like? They just give you a job and then you do it or did you get brought onto a project? Take me through that if you can. I was so intimidated, I had to
0: tell you. I, they We well, come in, we wanted to talk to you. you know so I go in for the interview, and it's you know, can't imagine you sitting around at the boardroom table, and you know, these are some of the best artists and creative minds in the world. I thought, I was nervous, and, but I brought some samples with me, and the interview went well, and so they said, "Well, we have a project we'd like to talk to you about." And, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, oh, good, good. I thought maybe they'd give me a little open-closed sign or some little thing, right? And out come the blueprints and it's Indiana Jones. Right? <laughs> it's like I get stuck in right at the top. And so, I mean, you know, I was sure I could do it. It was, it was like they do the design work there, so that part's done. It's a matter of just uh, you know, reading uh their intent and the emotion and capturing what they're trying to capture and make it come alive. So I was sure I could do it and uh, it went really well. Uh, they were, they were thrilled with it. So on that particular one, I did the card, the original and then um, Imagineering did all the finish work and all the color work.
2: And so what on that specific attraction did you end up doing? I've looked at your website, but because this is a podcast about now a visual medium, um, can you describe what exactly it was?
0: Sure, it was uh, the the it's not there anymore at Disneyland. Uh, it was the Indiana Jones Adventure outpost, and uh, that was the retail store for the Indiana Jones attraction. So it was the main uh, main sign above it. was carved out of mahogany about oh, 9 or ten feet long by four feet tall with these beautiful car snakes on both ends of it, it really came out great.
2: And uh, I, I forgot to ask this, but are you doing this work at this time in your own workshop, or are you at Imagineering, they they set up a place for you to do it?
0: It, it went both ways, but mostly at my own studio. Um, that one I did in my own studio, but but uh, Imagineering is, is uh, they're really careful about doing art direction. And If you don't know what that is, they'll send a, a art director to monitor the work and make sure the artisans isn't going off on a tangent, which can happen. You know, it's all up to interpretation, looking at drawings and then making it happen. You know, sometimes artists can go get a little squirrely. So it's carefully monitored the whole way. Other times I would work down there. If it needed to be art directed on a constant basis, I'd go down backstage at Disneyland and they'd set me up in a little shop and I'd work there.
2: Uh, do you have any uh, specific memories from, from this attraction or this era? Um, Cause like the, the, the image is beautiful. The, uh, and, you know, it's on the website. I'll try to put it on a link in the description so everyone can see this. And this is unfortunately no longer there, as you said. Um, but did you, do you have any specific memories, stories from this era?
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, that first, uh, job I did for them went so well. They they immediately started asking me to do more things. The next one, they came and said, well, that came out great. Can you do chainsaw sculpture? Which is, if you don't know what chainsaw is, it's like a big log, a tree, and you do a like, free standing sculpture with the chainsaw. And I have never done that before. And I did the same thing. I just told him the truth in advance, and said, "Well, for sure, I, I can do that." And so that was, and that one's still there at Disneyland. It's for the Hungry Bear Restaurant. It's a little Butler Bear holding a tray of food, and uh, we playfully think imagine. Just name the the different characters. His name is Jeeves. He's a Butler. So it's still there. I I didn't know how to do chainsaw carving, so. I call up a friend in Northern California said I got this job can you help me I don't know what tools do I get and he was kind enough to do that so I went to Northern California and uh um was not easy to find a log a redwood log the size that they wanted so I had to go uh into Northern California and I finally found one at a lumber mill incidentally that one when they were loading it in the truck and it dropped off the crane and just smashed the bed on the truck so it was an a great start, but I went to my friend's house and explained <laughs> me what tools I needed, kind of coached me through it. And I got through it, and it's still there
2: today. And I've, I've seen it, and of course I didn't realize you did it specifically until I started researching for those. But that's a, I mean, I love that entire um, aesthetic, that entire area, because you did, you did other things for the Hungry Bear, is that right?
0: Uh, I did another really big chainsaw card. Them. It was a bear eating a hamburger. And uh, that one was a funny story too because I I got the log up in Big Bear, California, went up in the mountains and finally found a log and brought it back to my studio and I carved it and then delivered it to Disneyland. And then a couple days later, I get a phone call saying, uh, we got a problem. It's like, okay. There are some type of termites or insects flying out of this thing (laughs) because it was a log that apparently had termite eggs or some kind of flying insect eggs inside of it. And I was terribly afraid that I was going to have to do it over. But we went down there and um, actually what we did is we tented it and fumigated it and that fixed it. And that's no longer there today. I don't know why. Beautiful piece
2: did did this bear have a name? This is, is this the one that's holding up the hamburger?
0: If, if, if they, they probably named it, but I don't, I don't remember the name
2: of that one. And I, I kind of want to circle back to something you said about when art, when you're working with, um, these, these artist supervisors that are trying to keep their vision on pace with your craft. Does that ever, is that ever like a learning process between you and that supervisor? Because they're probably not wood carvers. So is there any, like, communication things you have to work through or any anything of that nature? Or is it just pretty much, uh, every, you know, just mutual understanding? Everybody just goes forward? It's, you know, I, it went so smooth with me. Uh,
0: there was one time on, um, oh, which, which one was that? There was the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh that they sent up a whole team of art directors to my studio. I was having trouble with one of the characters. I don't remember which one. And so they just kind of coached me on, on how to approach this character. And sometimes it takes um, understanding the character. I didn't know the Pooh characters that well. I wasn't familiar with them. And so they brought models. I still had to have something to look at. Also, the color is, very carefully, orchestrated and art directed those colors are specked out they gotta be right on the money i mean if you notice when you go to disneyland it's so consistent there everything looks like it's in disneyland and that's because they're so careful with color and form and shape and and it's really consistent so most of the art direction that i needed was on the color end of things
2: i should just pause the timeline and ask you about the process of wood carving because some of my questions probably would be irrelevant because I have no idea what um, the process is so could you you know as to the layman um, the person that knows nothing kind of take me through the process um, and explain what it is that it takes to basically take a tree trunk or take a, a piece of wood into one of these art pieces
0: Sure, there's different types of carving. Mostly what I do is called relief carving. And relief carving is, it's not like in fully dimensional like a statue. And it's not flat like a drawing, not two-dimensional. And it's not fully three-dimensional. It's somewhere in between the two. So a coin is a good example of relief. It's a flat surface with the illusion of depth. So it's got some depth to it, but not as much as you might think you're fooling the eye into believing that the cut and it is deeper than it is. so there's some tricks to doing that um, and a lot of that is done in in the design part of it I, I do you want to know the six steps? I don't know if this is too technical is this
2: no, no I no, we we love technical stuff, so if you if you don't mind, we'd love to hear those steps
0: all right. These six steps are, this is what I do, what I'm carving. I'm, I'm not carving a picture of the Winnie, Winnie the Pooh characters. I'm following the steps. It doesn't matter what the subject is. If I follow these steps, it will turn out uh, well. So the first step is in the design and layout. That's where a lot of the, the illusion happens. So you're you're fooling the eye into making it believe that it's deeper than it is. And uh, this is all illustration, uh, advanced illustration stuff, but um, the idea is to have lots of layering, like overlapping shapes. Like if you have two characters, have one arm crossing over and interlocking with the other's arm. Another trick is to use uh, perspective,
1: which is the illusion of of the – The viewer uh, in a scene, like uh, if you're looking at a landscape, objects that are
0: closer to you are larger. And as they get further away from you, they get smaller and less detail. They get blurry as they get further away. So a lot of detailed objects that are close, blurry, and smaller as they get farther away. So there's some tricks in the design to to create that illusion of depth. Another trick there is using a vanishing point, which is when, say, when you're looking down a long, straight road, it appears to be wide where it's close to you, and it, and it tapers and tapers, gets smaller and closer together like a big V as it gets further in the distance. So these are tricks you can use to fool the eye into believing it's steeper than it is. So that's step one. Step two is to take away the background first. Now, uh, carving... There's two types of sculpture. There's additive and there's subtractive. Additive is like clay, where you build it up. You, you add to it until the form takes shape. And the carving is backwards. You're taking away. It's subtractive. So you're taking away um, material until the object shows up. So step two is to remove the background first so that you have a consistent depth across the whole piece. And you know that all of your layers, when I was talking about layering, is going to be between the foreground and the background. It'll be somewhere between those two points. Step That's step two. Step three is to put your layers in. Like if I had my arms crossed in front of my chest, one arm is in front of the other. So I'll, the one that's behind, I'll cut that one back a layer. And then I'll cut my chest back a layer deeper than that. It Not worrying about form or shapes or anything yet. All you do is get your levels so so things appear to be moving backwards in the layout. Then step three is to put shapes to those levels. In other words, an arm is not a flat uh, object. It's It's got some roundness and dimension to it. So you add all your shapes. Then details like, say, uh, you carved a wing on a bird. You carve the shape of the wing, and then the feathers go on top of that. So all the details or hair on a head detail comes last. And then uh, the uh, step five would be is uh, to uh, like color and and uh, uh, use of dark and light now in. In anything graphic, dark recedes and light comes forward. So if you want an object of pure to be coming out, use light colors there and you darken it up as it goes back. And so it's a dark background. It's just tricks, right? But it works.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then step six, right. you know, I, I used to teach just fire steps, and I thought about it. It's like uh, step six is to stay connected. Constantly st- stay connected with with other wood carvers or other people that are doing what you do. And so you can ask questions and, and, and stay involved and uh, push yourself. And you'd be surprised how helpful other artists can be. Especially on Facebook, we've got some great woodworking groups and wood carving groups where you can ask a question. You'll get some really good people that are answering it. So step six would be to stay involved. So if you do all those six things, that's what I teach at my retreats. And, and it's very specific, and it comes out great. It's just, I mean, these students leave in three days. It took me years to get to that point, teaching myself. But the stuff they're putting out is really, really good.
2: Well, thank you for for taking us through that. And I was, as you were speaking, I'm looking at your wood carvings on, on your website which again, links in the description for people to look at these as you listen. Um, but I'm I mean, picking out those things that you know you think you know about, but you don't know about. Like you, you think, oh, well, that's kind of the thing that stood out the most to me is uh, the the faking the depth because to me, I was like, oh, it's it's depth, but I'm sure it's a lot more shallow than my mind is telling me that it is.
0: Yeah, it depends on the piece. That and most of what it is 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 called low relief. It's, it's actually very very shallow, maybe half an inch, three quarters of an inch deep. But some of the like some of the Disney pieces are what's called high relief. If you look at the uh, Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, uh, it's it's like I glued up a wood blank of like a table. That's that's basic shape, and then glued blocks of wood to the surface where the characters are. So they have greater depth. And that's a full six inches deep, but that, that's a most different technique.
2: And that's a beautiful piece. And so is the Country Bear Playhouse, which is one of my, I mean, I was very sad they, they took that attraction out of Disneyland, but that entrance to the playhouse is so cool. Um, and it's very similar, I guess, in style too, or just with the characters hanging over the sign. Um, I guess my question would be with this one and Winnie the Pooh. You know, you've done characters, but with these characters that are so iconic, I'm sure that doesn't change the six steps. But what are you doing to ensure they come out in the same way that they they like look in our minds and appear? If, if that question makes sense. Yeah, that that's
0: where the discipline and the repetition comes. It's technique. It's learning to to see things as they really are. Uh, you, that. The Country Bear, that that's an, that is an interesting story on that one. Uh, the main character, Big Big Owl, in the middle, are you familiar with that character?
2: Oh, yes, I'm I'm very familiar. The, the, the Country Bears is like one of my favorite attractions. Okay, good.
0: Big Al, the, the bear in the middle. Uh, there was an Imagineer named Albertino in the olden days, an uh, Imagineer who was on the team that designed the Country Bears. And that character, he was Albertino. was So big and gregarious that they made a character out of him. that bear. Is a spitting image of Albertino. <laughs> it's really cute. And when I carved that piece, um, actually just prior to that, I was I carved some stuff for the Pocahontas store at Disneyland, and I, I it was chainsaw carving, and I had an accident, and I lost one of my fingers. A chainsaw accident, and so they put it back on. But I had a cast on my arm, and they needed the country bear carving done, and I couldn't work. <laughs> I had a cast on my arm, but so I mean I could work after a fashion, and I got got it kind of put together. And I called a couple friends and said, "Look, could you just rough this part out for me?" Right. So I did most of that with one hand with one hand and a cast and one hand free. That was hard <laughs> to do. And that's wow. that piece sold, and the, uh, sold at auction last year. That uh, There's a big auction. Are you familiar with that,
2: Kevin? Yeah, well, I didn't know this piece was sold there, but I, I heard about the auction.
0: Yeah, that was sold there for $85,000. Ooh,
2: you might want to whip up another <laughs> one of those.
0: <laughs> I think maybe i undercharged for that one.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The um that's so cool though. The uh that is one of my favorite attraction entrances. And I know the that you've you've told me about your process, so I know this might be repetitive in itself, but when you're doing something, you know the sign is gonna hang above people, and you know that no one's ever gonna see no one's ever gonna get a vantage point above that. Does that does that, you know, influence the design portion, or are you also being mindful of that? in the in the carving as well
0: that is a really good question kevin nobody ever would ask that question but you're right it's an, the illusion of depth and so it depends on the point of view of the viewer so when carving a piece like that i'm viewing it from below constantly viewing it from below and if you would have gone around to the top and looked down at it it would look a little wonky <laughs>
2: that's that's interesting i was i was thinking about that i was like well no one's ever going to see it but the thing that made me think of it is on your website you have a picture of it like before you put it in a truck to take it somewhere oh that's right yes and i uh and i was like that looks different and then you know you were you as you were talking through the mo the different um steps that i was uh i was like that has to be part of it so that's that you know all this is incredibly fascinating i have my a question that i i'm sure you get sometimes but what would be the most so what's the most frustrating thing? or not maybe not frustrating is the right word. What do people misunderstand about your craft that maybe doesn't frustrate you the most, but it's just the most common misunderstanding um between you know people that have no idea and you? <laughs> That's an easy
0: answer. This happens all the time. People make make comments, so you're so talented, you're so gifted. And it's not. It's uh, One of my favorite quotes is uh, from Michelangelo, and he said this, if people knew how hard I work to achieve my mastery, they wouldn't think it wonderful at all.
1: So to to me, I mean, my first pieces were just awful, right? if, if there were talent
0: or a gift, that would, those would have been brilliant. And it was repetition and discipline over and over and over and over. And I mean, people do have certain propensities toward things. You probably wouldn't want me doing your financial planning, for example. But So I do have a propensity for um, the visual arts. But still, it's not something that came easy. It didn't just come gushing out. It was discipline. It
2: still is. That's interesting. I I thought you would have said so, uh, because you know do you you do um, contract or freelance work still today? I saw there's a form on your website where you still are doing these pieces if people um, commission you. Is that right?
0: That's correct. I do mostly commission.
2: Well, not exclusively commission work for collectors. And I, I assumed, I was like, you know, I'm looking at this form and, you know, you say I have a queue, and, and I was like, I assume that the answer to the, what's the most frustrating thing is that you would say it takes longer than people think. Do you find that to be the case or do people generally know how that it takes a long time or. Th- They're, my, my
0: clients are really understanding that it's a very slow process as a labor vortex. You can look at it and see, this is not a quick thing. And so. They're very understanding that way. But that's another question I do get all the time. How long did that take you? And the answer is I don't track my hours, so I don't really know. Um, tracking my hours interferes with the creative process to me. It, it, it gets in the way, and it doesn't really matter how long it takes. It takes whatever it takes. i work until it's done. But I heard another woodcarver, his answer to that, he said, "Oh, people, how long did it take?" Says, so "Well, it took me sixty-three years of practice and, <laughs> and two hours to carve it." <laughs> right.
2: That's great. The I, I find this, I find the entire idea of it interesting. It's so different to for you to say, you know, when you were answering the, the question before about, you know, this is people say I'm so talented, but it's it's the repetition, the work, like that, and that's part of the steps that you listed. Um. I just find it fascinating, but there also seems to be an element of Zen and of, of, of peace in this, uh, in this art and similar to other arts, but, but this seems to have that at least maybe with your craft, can you kind of, I mean, it's something that's probably indescribable, but you know, could you touch on that or could you, do you, do you feel some sort of peace when you are carving? Oh
0: yeah, of course. Zen is a perfect word for it. It's, it's, you're lost in the the process. I mean, when I'm not working, I'm not thinking about my electric bill or any of other things that come up in life. When I'm working, it's just, it's like a nice vacation.
2: The, is there any, do you have a favorite part of the process?
0: Yeah. I, I like the finish work. That's putting the color on. And that's, that's my favorite part because that's where it all, all of a sudden comes to life. Yeah goes in stages so at first it's very primitive looking and then it gets more and more alive and then when the color goes on is when it really pops that's my favorite part it's nice and quiet too you know some of the carving stuff i'm using power tools that's noisy and dusty and you know so uh but the painting is nice and quiet i can just sit in my studio and put on music and just go at it it's peaceful work it's wonderful
2: and so at Disney, you said at first you weren't doing the coloring work. Did you eventually start to do the coloring work for other pieces, or were you mainly just carving with the Disney projects?
0: Um, some of both. I did color work for them too. Um, most of the time, they have a finishing shop that that does it. There, some really, really, really good artists. I mean, I've seen some stuff come out of that shop that's like, wow, that's really good. And I think most of the reason was that. So they could art direct it right on the spot.
2: When you're, you know, you're working with with Disney, um, and you know, you're getting a project to project basis. Are you, are you full time at Imagineering at this point? Or are you still doing you know contract work and freelance as well? Yeah, I was a vendor of theirs. Uh, so yeah, I have my own stuff going on too,
0: and and so all the work was done at, at my place.
2: Do you have, uh, like, a favorite project you did with Disney?
1: You know, I've forgotten a lot of them. Uh, Oh, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say it's the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh.
0: That was really fun to do. The Pooh characters are so playful, and they just came out so great.
2: So was most of your stuff in Disneyland? Most of it.
0: I did uh, okay. work at uh, Tokyo and uh, Florida also. Uh, Animal Kingdom. I did some stuff there, and I did some stuff at uh, California Adventure.
2: Do you uh do you remember what what are some of the specific pieces? Just so we because I mean name drop the pieces because that's what people love to hear. They want to know they w- ever they want to walk by and say I listened to that guy. He did that. <laughs> Okay.
0: My this is where my memory's gonna kick. <laughs> okay, so uh okay. Fantasyland Theater.
1: Pooh Corner uh Splash Mountain Uh the Village House Restaurant. Uh there's a Mexican
0: restaurant there. What's that called? Do you remember the name of the Mexican restaurant? Disneyland At Disneyland? Yeah, yeah. I don't
2: know. I I remember I remember it, but uh I, don't, I know what you mean that place um
0: <laughs> Pocahontas so another one of the things I would do is when uh, when they would release a new film like Pocahontas they'd open up a little retail store to go with it so a lot of my stuff kind of went in and while that store ran
1: and then would go out again so have Pocahontas and uh, gosh. Uh, Animal Kingdom. I don't remember the name. I did a, some stuff for a restaurant there,
0: so, so uh, just a whole lot of carving. It just took it forever to do. I can't remember the name of the restaurant though, Kevin. I'm sorry. I could. I can't be more specific.
2: No, it's okay. I did find the name of the Disneyland restaurant. It's a uh, Rancho de Zocalo. Uh, Zocalo. That's the one. Yep. I have another question and if you think of any more just go ahead and just shout them out. Um um but uh but in in the meantime I do have another question about, you know, these pieces. I'm looking at some of these like the the hungry bear where with the hamburger and you know these have very and this again I the answer might be, you know, a lot more simple than I think it is, but you know you have um these bears where they have different hair. So that is that is that in the paint stage? Is that carving? Do you carve that hair into them? You know, wh- wh- where does that come in?
0: I haven't. I haven't really haven't done a lot of chainsaw sculptures, but that's a chainsaw sculpture. Um, and when you do a, a, a like a bear a sculpture, you have to leave it leave it thicker than you you want it to be, so that you can put uh, fur texture on it. Uh, so it's it's. So the fur sticks out a little bit, right? So mm-hmm. um, so the texture is, is carved in there, and then it's also done with the finish. It's uh, using a technique called dry brushing, where I remember before I said, dark recedes, light comes forward. So if you want to highlight hair, you would take a, a light color on a brush and, and wipe it off so it's almost dry, and then you run it crossways across the fur and it sticks to the high points and leaves the darkness behind it. So it's called dry brushing. So it's a combination of texture and
2: simulation. And with wood carving in general, um, with, sorry, chainsaw, uh, um, when you're using the chainsaw, you know, you, you, we, you, what is different about that process? Is there, is there, other than the fact that you're holding a chainsaw, like, is it, is it a different skill, or did those all most of the skills from wood carving translate? Or were you like, okay, this is a whole new thing. I got to learn, learn from scratch. The whole new thing. Yeah, it's just completely different. It's subtractive, which is one thing. But
0: yeah, you know, I don't do chainsaw carvings. And after I had that accident, I just don't do them anymore. It was it was not for me. But and it's it's also it's super dangerous to, uh, to do carving with a chainsaw. You have to do some things with the saw that you're not supposed to do and you have to violate some safety stuff. And uh, it's noisy and dirty, and it's just so, it's uncomfortable. I just, I don't really like doing it. But uh, the technique is completely different. You're working with a, a very aggressive tool. And uh, it's not all done with a chainsaw, but getting the rough big pieces out is, and you have to be careful um, to not remove too much. So you do a little bit at a time, right? you get those shapes in there. And with relief carving, that's different. Uh, there, those six steps that I described, those were for relief carving, that's a whole different thing. Most of the chainsaw carving is sculpture, it's in the round, it's dim- fully dimensional, so like a statue. So there's different techniques for approaching that than you would on a flat
2: piece. So when you were doing the hungry bear for those for those carvings, um, did you n- have to start with? I mean, you did you only have like one trunk? Of course, you probably practiced to 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 be able to get to that point. But were they like, this is the trunk? Don't go too far, or we we don't have another trunk. Or were, did you were you able to start over?
1: Oh well,
0: um, I made a little clay model first, so like have sort of a scaled thing to look at, one pardon, I could also scale off and take measurements and scale them up uh, so Jeeves, the hungry bear restaurant, if you were to get in there and look at it really close, you'll notice that there's no way that that his left arm, which is sticking up in the air holding a tray there's no way you could get that out of one log <laughs> it's and it's not so his arm uh was uh, uh, a couple pieces of wood glued together and glued onto the side of the log and bolted on and then carved to look like one piece. And the, the tray and the hamburger on top, same thing, too. That's a separate piece. I mean, that's glued and screwed onto, the, onto his hand. So because a uh, log is, has a diameter to it, right, and, and his arm would be sticking out of that diameter if you couldn't get it out of one log, sometimes you have to, have to work with that and add pieces on to get the effect you're looking for.
2: I would have never known that. So with Disney, I have to ask, do you have any big memories? Any, I, I guess I should have asked at the start, were you a Disney fan or were you just appreciative of the Imagineers?
0: That's a, that's a really good question. You know, at the time I was doing that stuff, I, I was not a Disney fan. They called me, and I thought, well, this is an interesting work, and the money's good. And I thought, sure, I'll do that. And quite frankly, I was working, you know, solving problems and, and making deadlines. And I didn't understand the full magic of what goes on there. And it wasn't until just years later when I, took my kids and my grandkids to Disneyland one
1: day and I had got it I went, this is this is magic these people are really good
0: it's funny I didn't get it when I was doing the work but I get it now and, and you know Kevin people write to me from all over the world thanking me for such a, a warm memories from childhood to the point of tears sometimes that's like I didn't know I was doing that at the time. This is kind of working.
2: Well, that is the I guess that is the magic. But yeah, this is the stuff that that I never thought that I would be able to ask the person that, you know, made that bear at the the hungry bear or that made the playhouse sign, you know, um, these questions. And so for me it's extremely special because, you know, it it's that I think there's a lot of uh, you know, Disney fans that That really like the general history just kind of the oh this is the when the park opened and there's a basketball court in the Matterhorn but this is the stuff that I think me and my audience is incredibly interested in is the who did the wood carvings who did this that and it all comes together and it it just it's you know we're so appreciative of every part of it and when we find out like oh my gosh this you know this was done by this person it's it's extremely impactful to a because then you reassess it
0: yeah, that's a that's a common so, comment. Kevin is people
2: will tell me I
0: didn't realize that these were real. That a human being actually, yeah, there's human beings doing this stuff. Right? Even even the stuff that's molded in fiberglass or plastic, there's human beings doing the original. Right? And Then they make molds of it, but there's there's some really, really, really good artists and craftsmen in the in engineering group. That's just a fun place to. To
2: the the, the, I think that's uh, the artistry is that people don't immediately think who did that they just think you know it lives in that environment that's where it's always been who knows who made it because you made a sign in the 80s or 90s but to uh, to, to the to the audience to the viewer it's like oh you know that's been since the 1800s <laughs> that's true they just yeah they won't stop and think about that that's right. right it's just part of the magic so you do Indiana Jones you do um uh, a lot of stuff in Frontierland Cause that's where most of the wood carvings are. Animal kingdom has a lot of wood carvings. Was there ever a project that you got that you didn't expect that you would be making a wood carving for that area? Or is it always like, Oh, Frontierland wood carvings.
0: Oh no. Unexpected stuff happens. I did some stuff for Toontown. Um, I never expected to do anything there. Um, I did, some, um, I carved the, the original little canoe models of the canoes for the Pocahontas animators, so they had something to look at. <laughs> I've done some repairs on the uh, carousel uh, and the tiki, the tiki thing. Uh, so yeah, it comes 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 everywhere.
2: Do you have a a favorite aesthetic? You know, you have you have that very a uh, woodsy. Hungry Bear frontier lands. Um and then there's also kind of the the tiki side of things that a lot of people are really interested in. Uh, you know, personally, do you have anything that you really enjoy, or you just, I mean, not enjoy making, but even yourself that you're drawn to?
0: Something that Disney's
2: really good at is,
0: uh, I mentioned, I think, in the beginning of this this uh, podcast that that there's uh, sculpture is being done with computers now, CNC machines. There's these are computerized. Uh, power tools that hack out the wood. And the way that's done is they do a computer model, uh, like a CAD model, and they make it dimensional. And then the robot reads that and carves it out. But, and, and, you know, they certainly do plenty of that, but Disney also pays attention to the traditional arts, which, uh, you know, a human being can do things that a computer, or a robot can't do. A human being can interpret, um, can read expression and uh, emotion and and pull those out, out of the piece. And I see a lot of that at Disneyland. It, like, you know, another thing is computer work, you know, these TNC uh, robot things, you know, they do a perfect job. It, they cut a straight line. Maybe that's a straight line. When A human being cuts a straight line. It's a little bit wonky, right? And that's they like that. There, there's a there's a human organic element of, of some of the artwork and, and props and, and architecture there that can only be done by a human being. They pay attention to that. That's the cutting edge stuff to really make it live and breathe. It takes a human being.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that and brought that up because I was actually going to ask about that because I know there is a lot of these new machines and and you covered it all. So thank you for that. Um, I'm going to be kicking myself if I don't ask you about fan favorite attraction Splash Mountain. You said you had done some work on it. Do you remember specifically what you did? Don't I did one of the Splash Mountain uh with
0: Brer Rabbit, but not all of them. I don't remember where it is. I'm sorry, I can't tell you which one it is.
2: Is it is it the Splash Mountain sign where he has his uh little bandana? He's got the bandana in there. So,
0: uh, uh the the bag on the pole. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah I don't know. The, I there's a I guess there's multiple of those. A lot of my work is gone there.
0: Last time I went to Disneyland, I counted fourteen pieces that were
1: still
2: there, but that's out of dozens. Did you, when you were going through Disneyland, you know, with uh, you said with your kids and grandkids, did you see any signs that you forgot you'd done? Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I
0: did. I was like, oh wow, yeah, the Mexican restaurant Rancho, that one I forgot about, and uh, the Village House stuff. Um, i would forgotten about those too.
2: Yeah. So when you when you see those, you know, does it does it bring back memories of working on it, memories of delivering it, you know, or is it just like, oh, I I think I did that because I remember that.
0: No, I uh, I mean, no, it doesn't bring back memories of working on. It. It's like if you see something you've done a long time ago and you have thought about it for a long time, it's like first, it's surprising. It's like, what is this? oh oh I know that oh I did it. <laughs> it's like that. It's kind of a recognition thing.
2: That's yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And do you have anything else to share with us um, before we wrap this up? I know, thank you so much for giving me so much of your time and your knowledge and your information. Um, but is there anything else before we go that about wood carving Disney? Wood carving Disney.
0: You know, a question I get quite quite a bit. Kevin is I, I get this all the time. People contact me all over the world saying, "I have a daughter or a son who wants to be an Imagineer." You know, do you have any
1: advice or uh, tips or shortcuts or, and uh, uh, some of the best Imagineers that I know are self-taught. Uh, so for me, I,
0: as I mentioned before, I tried to get in there for years with nothing. And it was just a piece of luck that, uh, the senior graphic designer happened to see my work. So the, the biggest piece of advice I'd give is always do your best work because you don't know who's going to see that. And the second would be persistence because, uh, you know, the, uh, I am, I am again doing work for Imagineering and, uh, it took a lot of persistence to get in there. It, it uh, uh, Showing consistency and uh, it just you don't just let it go at one try. It's over and over and over and over and over and over with no guarantee of the results. It may not happen, but it might.
2: Right. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this has, again, been really, really special and everyone's going to be really thr- thrilled to hear all of your Um, stories and knowledge my pleasure i'm honored thank you for thinking of me kevin absolutely thank you and everyone listening thank you for listening don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the podcast and thank you for visiting defunct land